I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to Introvets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to Introvets Podcast. Hello. The snack episode. Snackity snack. Today, we are continuing our series where JJ presents a common toxicity in cats and dogs, and we learn about it. A snack. That's right. Problem. A snack problem. JJ, what are we learning about today? We're learning about chocolate and the toxic problems it can cause. Normally, chocolate wouldn't be toxic in my world, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, to people it is not, unfortunately. (laughs) To dogs it is. And other species, but, you know, we're talking about the common two today. Okay, so let's talk about the toxic principles in chocolate. Mm -hmm. What makes chocolate toxic to dogs and cats? Well, there's theobromine and caffeine in chocolate, and these are methylxan things. And due to the variation of the cocoa beans and many types of chocolate products, the exact amount of methylxan things in chocolates can vary. Specifically, the theobromine concentrations vary by the strain of cocoa plant and even the growing conditions. Mm -hmm. So cocoa beans, cocoa powder, baker's chocolate, and dark chocolate are all the most toxic. There is like a relative distribution of methylxanthines. Like you can find charts that contain amounts. Now those do vary, as we just said, but there are... There are charts that serve as the basis for how we calculate probable levels of exposures. And if we're looking at this chart, as far as like total milligrams of methylxanthines per ounce of the substance, cocoa beans are real high, okay? (laughs) So anywhere from 300 to 1,500 milligrams of methylxanthines per ounce That's compared to something like cocoa powder, which is 800, okay, still very, very high. Next, unsweetened dark baking chocolate, 400 milligrams of methylxanthine per ounce. Now, that's still high, but you'll see it's half the amount that's in the same weight of the unsweetened cocoa powder. Mm -hmm. And then as we're getting into semi-sweet chocolate, it goes down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So semi-sweet chocolate is much, much less compared to the others. So 150 milligrams in semi-sweet chocolate, down to milk chocolate at 64, then white chocolate coming in at less than one. (laughs) White chocolate is not a problem. Mm -hmm. And then um, I actually didn't know this until I started reading for this episode, but some mulch Mm -hmm. is made out of cocoa bean holes, and it can range from not that bad, more like milk chocolate ingestion, all the way up to super duper bad at 900 milligrams per ounce. And it depends on sort of the processing processing process. (laughs) Sometimes mulch will have the methylxanthines removed, but sometimes it doesn't. If you are using cocoa bean mulch in your yard, do not let your pets eat that. Mm -hmm. Thumbs down. So theobromine and caffeine are both absorbed in the GI tract very easily and metabolized in the liver. Fattened the chocolate products could slow absorption. And unfortunately, theobromine undergoes aerohepatic recycling, which causes an extended half-life. So, for instance, theobromine 
has a half-life of about 17 and a half hours, and caffeine has a half-life of about four and a half hours in dogs. And also caffeine, interestingly, can be reabsorbed across the bladder wall, Mm -hmm. and that can prolong the clinical signs associated with caffeine. Methylxanthines in general can cross the placenta and are excreted in milk. So puppies, both in utero or nursing, can be affected by the bitch getting into chocolate. Chocolate milk. JJ. (laughs) What the fuck? Sorry. All right. Well, I guess that's the episode title. Not not Um. supposed to voice my intrusive thoughts aloud. (laughs) So cats are considered more sensitive to methylxanthines than dogs, but they don't tend to eat chocolate as often as dogs do. I can't remember a single time of ever seeing a cat come in for chocolate toxicity. Mm -mm. But like my cats would for sure eat chocolate if I gave them the opportunity. I think your cats would eat anything. They would. Girl. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk some more about methylxanthines and the method of action. There are three major ones. So they inhibit cyclic nucleotide phosphodiesterases. Bless you. They, <laughs> let me back up for a second. They inhibit cyclic nucleotide phosphodiesterases. They antagonize receptor-mediated actions of adenosine, and they stimulate catecholamine synthesis and release. These things together cause stimulation of the central nervous system, increased rate and force of heart contractions, increased gastric secretions, smooth muscle relaxation, and diuresis. And then as just a fun fact, chocolate ingestion was the most common reported toxin exposure to U.S. animal poison control centers between 2005 and 2014. (laughs) And in that study, there was a higher incidence around holidays, including Christmas and Easter. Yes, that is the season for the vomit to smell like chocolate. So, JJ. Yep. What are the clinical signs associated with chocolate ingestion? So effects from caffeine start about a half hour to an hour after ingestion, um, while effects of theobromine start at about two plus hours after ingestion. So you might see vomiting, diarrhea, appetite loss, polydipsia, abdominal pain, hyperactivity, hyperthermia, ataxia, rigidity, tremors, seizures, tachycardia, premature ventricular contractions, tachypnea, cyanosis, bradycardia, hypotension, coma, and death. You snuck the last two in there. Okay. (laughs) It's It's bad. (laughs) It's not good. Because of the high fat content in chocolate, you might also see uh, pancreatitis show up. Hmm. Not cool. And um, central nervous system and cardiac signs predominate, while GI signs can occur with high sugar fat content. And vomiting dogs may have vomitus that smells like chocolate or have chocolate breath. Yeah. I I just... mm. One of my least favorite things was I had a dog come in who had eaten an entire container of Dove chocolates Mm -hmm. for, like, Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a lot of chocolate that this dog had eaten. And we induced vomiting, and just the smell of chocolate in the the treatment area combined with just holding the dog. Because I feel like I have, like, a lot of toughness for most things Mm -hmm. but seeing 
animals or people vomit, I'm like, mm-hmm. like I, I will start to gag if I watch it. And so it was just the grossest ever. After that, I don't think I ate chocolate again for like six months because <laughs> the smell of it brought me back to the treatment area and that dog hurling all over the place. And I was like, I can't do this. So it is very dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very dramatic. Yeah. It's fun when they use their wrappers too, because then there's fun colors. Is it fun? I don't I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That <laughs> Try to fun. find the positives. <laughs> so what are some diagnostics that you would recommend? Okay. Um, well, a minimum database, always a good idea. On CBC, we will potentially see hemoconcentration, so an elevated red blood cell count due to the diuretic side effects of methylxanthines. On a chemistry profile, there's not really any specific abnormalities that we would expect to see. There have been descriptions in the literature of hypokalemia, which is low potassium, hyperglycemia, I'm guessing because they ate a crap ton of sugar with Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) hyperlactemia, and ALT elevation. Um, But this isn't like consistent across every case. If the chocolate contains xylitol, you might see hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and also ALT elevation. And I feel like the xylitol thing is something that before um, I went to vet school, we didn't really see that very often. But I guess in the last like 10 to 15 years, that's becoming more and more common. They're putting that shit in everything. And I also read recently where they like... It has another name now. Oh, yeah? That, um, I can't remember what it was, of course. So I know sometimes this. it's called, like, birch sweetener yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And they'll put that instead of having the thing. So it's like, if you're looking for that one word, mm-hmm. you may miss it. So yeah. I feel like it would be great if we could get all xylitol-containing products labeled, mm-hmm. like, warning toxic to dogs. But I feel like that probably won't happen. <laughs> But that would be awesome if we could. Definitely would. If you ran a urinalysis, you might see a low urine-specific gravity, again, because of the diuretic effects of methylxanthines. There are methylxanthine assays that you can run to detect um, their presence. They're rarely performed, though, because most of the time the people know that the chocolate is missing. Mm -hmm. Um, It'd be unusual uh, to have like a, we don't know, could it have gotten chocolate? (laughs) <laughs> uh, most people are like, we don't know. Did it get weed? There's no way to tell. Yes. Yeah, like, but chocolate, people fess up to that. <laughs> I don't know if my blood pressure medicine is missing or not, but I know somebody got my chocolate. That's right. I would also notice that first, so I don't blame <laughs> them. Okay. But you could use stomach contents, serum, plasma, urine, or <laughs> bobsies in the liver, apparently, <laughs> to... <laughs> I don't recommend that as standard practice. That but you could, is what I'm saying. Say. What if the dog got really, really sick and died and we were like, we don't know, and that took to necropsy, they could test for methylxanthines then, Mm. maybe in the liver. Surely no one did that. That could happen. Outside of that situation. (laughs) But look, it was in the literature. I'm going to report it. Mm -hmm. So genetic variation determines how dogs will respond when eating chocolate. Yes. So there is variable susceptibility. There is polymorphism in cytochrome P450 enzymes, and these have been associated with reduced ability to metabolize and eliminate theobromine. So the dogs with that genetic predisposition um, might be more likely to show signs with a smaller amount of chocolate. JJ. Yes. In general, how much 
chocolate or how much methylxanthine exposure do pets have to have before they start to show symptoms of illness. Okay. So if they've had less than 20 milligrams per kilogram of methylxanthines, they're unlikely to get sick. If they've had 20 to 40, you might see some vomiting, polyuria, di- polyuria diarrhea, and restlessness. Uh, if they get up to 40 to 50, agitation, hyperactivity, ataxia, polyuria, tachycardia, tachypnea, hypertension, and hyperthermia. If you get on up to 60 to 80, you'll start seeing some of those CNS signs with seizures. Higher doses also, you'll see the tremors, severe cardiac arrhythmias, coma, death. You can find um, chocolate toxicity calculators everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get a little wheel to keep in your practice, or you can look online. Um, There's lots of apps that have toxicity calculators that'll include chocolate. So I would have at least one, if not all three, at your ready available fingertips, especially someone near a phone. So when they call and say, my dog ate my chocolate bar, you can uh, look that dose up super quick. Absolutely. My favorite chocolate toxicity calculator is the one on VIN. Mm -hmm. Because it has animations, the dog, there's a dog there wagging its tail, and you put in the weight of the dog and the type of chocolate and the amount that it ate and hit calculate, and it'll tell you, and then the picture of the dog exhibits the clinical signs that you're expected to see. So if it's like GI, you'll see like poop and vomit are coming out of the little animation. Oh my god. And then it'll do tremors and it'll do seizures. Rude. And it is hilarious. Whoever animated it, it's funny. I mean it's not funny, but it's like that dark humor. Mm-hmm. Like it plays into that dark humor for me. Mm-hmm. And so I always keep the animation on. <laughs> so if you guys have not seen it, I strongly encourage you to do it. Like just go to Vin and please just play with the chocolate toxicity calculator so that you can see all of the animations. Someone worked really, really hard on that just to, just to, to make the whole process a little bit more enjoyable. So kudos to the animator, right? It's gosh, uh, pretty, pretty amazing. It beats a wheel every time I think. (laughs) So JJ, Mm -hmm. how is chocolate toxicity managed? So, obviously, you want to manage your life-threatening clinical signs first. Um, supplemental oxygen, if needed. Uh, avoid overly aggressive cooling in dogs um, that are presenting with hyperthermia. Treat seizures with diazepam or midazolam. For cases in which status epilepticus is occurring, you might need to manage that more in-depth. Definitely check out... Uh, your preferred resource, emergency critical care book, VIN chapter, uh, to get information about status epilepticus because you usually have to go to something like a CRI uh, or maybe even full anesthesia, uh, intubation, things like that to get it under control. The dog is only experiencing tremors. You can use methocarbamol for ventricular tachyarrhythmias. You can use lidocaine and or beta blockers. Say the pet is not experiencing those life-threatening clinical signs. So the Mm -hmm. pet is neurologically stable. It's not actively seizing or anything else. It's not requiring emergency like cardiovascular resuscitation or anything like that. Mm -hmm. 
decontamination would be the number one thing on your list. So what is the first step that we're going to take there? Induce vomiting. Fantastic. You want to induce vomiting, even if it's been up to four to six hours after ingestion, do the delayed absorption, and you want to use apomorphine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No peroxide. Yeah. Please use apomorphine. It's going to work real well. Mm -hmm. In a dog, in a cat, it will not work. (laughs) And, And use asterisk. Yes, use as directed. <laughs> For kitties, we got to do maybe like a low-dose dexmedetomidine, something mm-hmm. like that, okay? Yep. Get your plum out, get your formulary of your choice out, uh, and look up the doses there, okay? Mm-hmm. If you want to use your activated charcoal, you can repeat that every 12 hours until they're non-symptomatic. Um, you want to do that due to the enterohepatic recirculation. You also want to monitor for hypernatremia. Yep. So that you don't accidentally create CNS signs in the dog you're trying to prevent CNS signs in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, You can also do gastric lavage for dogs that have been sedated due to the seizures or tremors. You can provide supportive care, IV fluids for diuresis. Urine excretion is important because of that caffeine recirculation in the bladder. Sorry, the caffeine reabsorption from the bladder. And then IV fluids can also just help stabilize cardiovascular function. Yeah, you want to monitor the temperature of the patient. In some cases, you may need to do electrocardiogram monitoring and monitoring for acid-base and electrolyte abnormalities. Uh, urinary catheter or frequent walking may be uh, required since bladder absorption is possible. You want to keep that bladder as small as possible. You may need to use antiemetics or GI protectants in some of these patients. And um, for your uh, CNS patients, definitely minimize sensory stimulation. What about for asymptomatic patients? Um, For those, you'll probably consider doing about four to six hours of hospitalization just to monitor for any development of clinical signs. Clinical signs can last for anywhere of 12 to 36 hours, with higher doses reported to cause clinical signs for up to 72 hours. What is the prognosis? for chocolate ingestion overall? Pretty good with appropriate treatment. What about in dogs with heart disease? Um, They have an increased risk of severe cardiac side effects, and those with seizure disorders have a higher risk of CNS effects. What are the things that determine the prognosis in any individual animal? So it's going to depend on the type of chocolate they ate. Um, the amount they ate, the size of the dog, and the time between ingestion and treatment. In one report of 44 dogs with chocolate toxicosis, 43 were successfully uh, managed. In that study, the prognosis was pretty good, Mm -hmm. 43 out of 44. Now, in that study, the one dog that passed away had an overall dose of 64 milligrams per kilogram of theobromine and 19.7 mg per kg of caffeine. That's a lot. When we were going through those relative mg per kg, that was like, wasn't it like greater than 60 was like mm-hmm. bad? Okay. Bad news. Yup. Okay. And oh, also that dog was presented like a long time after ingestion. So it had been about 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And so the pet had already developed really bad clinical signs. So at the time of presentation, there was tachycardia, hyperthermia, active seizures, vomiting, and hypokalemia. 
That's so not good. That that guy ate a lot of chocolate and already had fulminant clinical signs. So mm. um, that's probably why that outcome was less successful. Mm. Yep. What about any sort of breed predisposition for this? Um, there's not really any, but of course your smaller dogs and cats are going to be more at risk because it doesn't take as much chocolate to get them to toxic levels. Well, that's chocolate toxicity in a nutshell. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Again, fitting very well the 30-minute episode format. Hershey's with almonds. Wes, <laughs> you know, kind of hard to make a full case out of that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty straightforward. So, we have some extra time here. Uh, we are going to have a recommendations corner. JJ, <laughs> what is your recommendation? So, I was trying to find some... Um, new podcasts to listen to because that's pretty much what I do when I'm working is just listen to podcast after podcast. And I don't remember where I heard the recommendation for this one, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's you okay. know, most of the podcasts I listen to are true crime related. And it, this one is it is a true, true crime, crime related okay. one. Um, it's definitely there's been several years worth of it going on. It's called True Crime Bullshit. I've never heard of that I love one, the name. Actually. It's all about one particular serial killer that I wasn't super familiar with. I think I saw like it on an episode of Inside the Mind of a Serial Killer or something. I don't know, but about Israel Keys. Oh, I hate that guy. That man is, yeah, and it's all about him. And it's all about like, basically the guy that's doing the podcast is trying to figure out other possible victims. Gotcha. And... I don't remember. Most of the time I can listen to just about any podcast and it doesn't, you know, I'm like on to the next. It doesn't phase me. Mm-hmm. But I had to stop. I had to take a break for a little while mm-hmm. um, just because it was kind of intrusive thoughts permeating my brain a little too much. Oh, OK. So um, and I started being like paranoid at the house by myself. So maybe trigger warning. So, yeah, that's why I'm like, you so know, is it a recommendation? I or mean, <laughs> So it's it's kind of one of those things. It's like the first season definitely is super interesting. The rest of the seasons are basically kind of him. There's some couple couple of moments you're like, ooh, but but season one definitely worth a listen. I mean, it's the I mean with most serial killers, there's you know things that aren't pleasant, and this one is definitely not pleasant. But um, I I like the way he kind of he does his research and. You know, it's a, it's an interesting one. So it's it's kept me entertained for about two weeks, but I had to take a, a little bit of a break. You may too, <laughs> but that for what it's worth, that's what what I've been listening to lately. Well, let's see. For recommendation corner, I am going to go back to the topic we were discussing a few episodes ago for our 100th anniversary celebration, where I had trouble identifying a third book recommendation. Mm-hmm. And we finally settled on it, but I was like, y'all have to be not happy like, with that one. Just and skip the end. <laughs> yeah, like you just have to skip the end. Like you just have to be careful recommending that book to people. I thought later, WTF? Why didn't you say Good Omens? Uh-huh. Because Good Omens is an amazing book, and I don't think that many people know about it. So, Good Omens is was co-authored by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. It is very up my alley as far as like the British humor aspect. It's very goofy. It's it's very like 
can't think of a word that describes this, but I like it in stories when little things that seem like they're no big deal end up adding up to something that's like, holy crap, Mm -hmm. we accidentally did this thing. And Mm -hmm. it's really so in the book, Good Omens, the general plot follows several groups of people that all come together at the end with the overarching subject being Armageddon. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so the main characters would be an angel and a demon who both really love the earth and are trying to prevent Armageddon from happening, but they each individually can't let heaven or hell know because heaven and hell want Armageddon to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a comedy of errors situation constantly. There's also human people that are characters in the book that each uh, individually do things that contribute to the outcome, but not in ways that you would expect. Mm -hmm. And I can't say more without like giving spoilers away, but it is just a joy to read. It is written in a very conversational style, which appeals to me. And it is funny as hell. (laughs) Um, Now I will say that it was written. I think it's a nineties book, maybe 89. I think it's early nineties. I think the nineties was night Gaiman's heyday. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes when you go back and revisit media from the 90s that you really are nostalgic for and love, you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) homophobia, you know, racism, the other things. So I will say that I reread Good Omens fairly often. And there are some spots where I'm like, "Ooh, that maybe would have been written differently or phrased differently today. So maybe keep that in mind. But nothing like the warning that I have to give for it. Okay, <laughs> I would say the vast majority of the things in Good Omens are not like a like a stab to the heart kind of oh kind mm-hmm. of a thing. But there is some, you know, there there's depictions of homophobia and things like that in the book that I don't know that he might have included today. Mm-hmm. So that. <laughs> And this book has a series on Amazon Prime that I I love. I love it, yes. And it's got, you know, Michael Sheehan, who I'm maybe slightly obsessed with, and then David Tennant in there. And um, when it came out in 2019, we, Carl and I watched it in the middle of the pandemic, and it was just such a joy. Mm -hmm. It follows the book very closely, not 100%, but like as close as I've ever seen a depiction of a book in media to where I'm like, yes, okay, you can tell that Neil Gaiman was like instrumental in the creation of the series. And they've just come out with season two, Mm -hmm. which goes beyond what the book, like the, the season one completely encapsulated the book, boom, done. So then season two is out now and it's like supposedly a bridge to a season three that's going to come and be the last one but because we got the writer's strike going on and everything Uh, like that i'm a little bit nervous that might not happen so what i need for everyone to do is to go on amazon prime and please stream good (laughs) omens so that i can get the third season (laughs) and understand what happens yeah it's definitely in our list to do that because i love the first one a lot So, and you know how, like, what a shipper I am. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. a super romantic, you know, like, that just is up my alley. So, the relationship between Aziraphale and Crowley is, like, so sweet and cute and everything. And in in the book, like, and in the first season, people are like, 
they love each other. Like they <laughs> super love each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was like, you know, not a hundred percent confirmed or whatever. And then, uh, in season two, I will say that I, I, without giving spoilers away, I feel like <laughs> I need the good season. <laughs> season two ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Is Uh-oh. what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, yeah, I need it in my life. <laughs> so yeah, I was driving down the road listening to the to the rough cut of the episode, and I was like, "Damn it! Why didn't I say Good Omens? Like that's such an obvious answer." But anyway, so yeah, if you have not read Good Omens. If you've not watched the series, I can strongly recommend both. Very well done. Two thumbs up. Yep, two thumbs up. Hilarious. And if you don't like British comedies, you might not like it. But Mm. for me, like I tried to get my mom to watch it and she wasn't that into it. And Mm. I'm like, how? This is funny as hell. You know, (laughs) but you really have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Some of the jokes are very subtle, you know. Anyway. You can also find uh, tons of TikToks of. Tennant and Sheehan arguing with each other. Because they had that show, uh, what is it called, over the pandemic? Um, I don't remember. It was a specific show, like a show uh-huh. that aired yeah. like, online or whatever. And um, yes, they're a mess. And they, <laughs> like, I really think that they love each other in real life, too. Good. I'm just going to say it. Like, <laughs> like the way, if, if, if someone in my life could please gaze at me the way that Michael Sheehan gazes at David Tennant, I'm not talking about in shows. I'm talking about in real life. Like, that would really be very amazing. Mm-hmm. They, they have, you know who they have energy of? Patrick Stewart and um, mm-hmm. um, Professor X and, and um, who's the other damn guy? Um, he was Gandalf. Yeah. I googled friend of Patrick Stewart and it came up Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. I was way I, off. I literally just googled <laughs> friend of Patrick Stewart. Ian McClellan. Okay. There we go. So yes, they have a very Patrick Stewart, Ian McClellan energy like in their, you know, mm-hmm. in their friendship and in their humanship. <laughs> And it's very sweet. Soul besties. That's right. So those are our recommendations. Mm. One's sunny and happy and one's not so much. Yeah. After you listen to serial killer stuff, you can go watch Good Omens. Mm -hmm. So problem solved. Palette cleanser. Thank you for joining us. If you have stories, cases, questions, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. And it's at Intervets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Show do. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.